reading from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20 today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may grab a seat. Well, have you not been with us the past few weeks? Uh, You're in for quite a treat today. Um, We are in our third week series on cross-shaped politics. That's all fun and games. And the reason why we get here to talk about politics is because we've been in a long, slow walk through the Gospel of Mark following Jesus on the way to the cross. And when we see the gospel of Mark uh, encounter either a core value of ours at this church or a a topic in our culture that is quite explosive or incendiary, we want to take our time as a community, sit in it, and see what Jesus has to say about that. And so when in Mark Jesus is confronted about paying taxes to Caesar, he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's, that is Jesus his kingdom encountering that of Caesar's, which has led to uh, us taking some time to talk about this, because clearly politics is an explosive, explosive and polarizing issue in our culture. And so the question I've been so burdened by, it's ate at me after I left last week's service, is has any of this been actually good news? I felt burdened by that. I left and I got in the car and started driving. My kids were in the car with me. And I was just like, sometimes when I'm like uncomfortable about how I feel about the sermon, which is most weeks, I scream in the car and like make faces because I like can't get the wiggles out of my body because it feels, you know, when you've been at a party and say things, you're not quite sure how they land. And then you kind of reevaluating how you spoke at the gathering. Like that's how a sermon feels most of the time. My kids are like, what are you doing, dad? It's like, man, I'm getting my energy out. But one of the things I was feeling is like I'm preaching about Jesus being political And I think it's very relevant, it's important, and internally it feels like good news, but I kept wondering, like, is that landing as good news with people that are listening, which is more important? And so, uh, actually, in my spiritual formation group this past week, at the end of it, uh, someone shared a really powerful thing, and then just had a brief pause, took a breath, and went, I hate politics. (laughs) And I was like, I would press in, has this been good news? They were like, "Mm, it's been neutral news. (laughs) And then someone else said, It's been appreciated news. And so, uh, yeah, to me, it's good news that the things that exhaust us are things that actually Jesus cares about a lot. And if it's exhausting to us, I wonder where there's an overlap that things that might exhaust Jesus that he has care about. And it's good news to me that Jesus would care about the stuff that burdens this world and hurts people. 
it's also good news to me that you exist. Because I know many preachers that would want to say the kinds of things I'm saying, but either have and got fired, or don't say it because they don't feel confident their church can hear it. So, like, the fact I've said stuff the past two weeks is less an indication of me as a preacher and more an indication of you all being able to sit in and absorb uh, tense topics and unresolved conversation. Like, it testifies more to your maturity than to anything I'm doing. So, like, to me, that's, that's good news. And it's good news that young folks are watching it. When a lot of young folks leave the church because of how the church has embarrassingly participated in the political world, it's good news for young people to watch adults wrestle with hard stuff. So I would invite you to see it as good news, <laughs> even if it feels like it's touching on exhaustive topics. So I'm keeping that in mind. And so last week, we kind of talked about the beginning of this, Jesus is political, but not how we might think. I more emphasize Jesus being political. He used political titles. He died a political death. His message and ministry and death and resurrection had a political impact, and that what is happening in Jesus' kingdom is different, but it's very relevant to and impacts the political happenings around us. I feel like I'm purposely trying to talk very slow because I was told last week I talked fast, and I'm not going to do it. So if I go fast, throw a brick at me and be like, you're doing it again. Because in the car when I was screaming about like how I felt about the sermon, my kids were like, yeah, why'd you talk so fast? <laughs> That's some constructive criticism. So the emphasis today is that he is political and that he cares. What he's doing impacts it. But it's so much not how we might think. There's key differences that ultimately puts serious limitations on how Christians view secular politics. And so the differences are shown in questions like, what's wrong, what's the solution, and how do these kingdoms grow, or how do they expand their influence? And these differences are so big that it's going to majorly put limitations on what Christians can expect from the political realm and how much uh, emphasis or hope we place in that. And a key difference, if I could sum it up, I wanted this to be more succinct, but clearly it's not, is that Jesus' kingdom is about the inside. It starts on the inside. The inside is the most important, but it's an inside that flows into the outside. It impacts the external world, whereas the world's politics can only deal with the outside. It, can, it just can't deal with the inside. So it at best leaves the inside untouched, but oftentimes it actually uh, reveals what's inside of the people that are most participating in it. So as I talk about those differences of what's wrong, what's the solution, how these kingdoms grow, I hope that those differences reflect that Jesus' kingdom has an emphasis on the inside that worldly politics can't touch. And I feel like my voice is crawling. <laughs> is it crawling, Joe? It's crawling. It is. It's good. Uh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Okay. We will talk slow and enunciate our words like an anchor man. All right. So according to politics, what is wrong? What do you say is wrong? Is secular politics, people are participating in that. What do they think? Like, how would they define what is wrong? I think first they may start with what I would say is laws, policies, structures, and systems. Basically, anything that is external, externalities. Laws, policies, structures, and systems. You might say 
a lack of resources or an imbalance of resources. You might say stuff about education. I would say all of that is influenced by what are external rules and external policies and structures and systems. And of course, if you start to work out, okay, we should work on changing some of these, like what is a significant roadblock to changing these laws and external externalities? And we'll start to press those buttons and think about it, and it will be this ominous, dark, terrible force that we might sometimes just call them. They. They are what's wrong, man. So, of course, we have laws and policies. We should try to change them. But the key thing that's in the way is them. They're filled with darkness and evil. And so if we could only get rid of them. So what's the solution in your secular politics world? And we see secular problems going on. And there's these policy structures and stuff. The thing we do to change them is simply to get better ones. So we're going to update and change their external laws and policies and structures, which will necessitate some better leaders. If we can improve and get our people uh, to get our policies passed, then a lot of what's wrong in the world would be changed and fixed, right? That's how secular, that's the most secular politics can do. That's how they solve what is wrong. So then how do you grow then? How does the, 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 how do you expand influence? How do you expand impact if that's your problem and solution? Really, you expand control over. Again, this is outside stuff. You expand control over territory or people. So if we get the right laws in place, we can enforce those on the people within our territory, right? So there's not much yet happening on the inside. It's a lot of things adjusting and moving around on the outside, and that's how they grow. And of course, you start to ask the question, what's the outlook for the future if that is the problem, solution, and kind of game plan? To me, it starts to sound kind of bleak because the hope for the future depends on humans who often don't have the best track record to suddenly get the right order of policies and laws and structures and systems in place under the right leadership and sustain that for the long haul without just more oppression and idolatry of power taking place in there. And you start to think, this does not look like it's the most hopeful. Which is why uh, many people that are the most engaged with politics or the most invested are battling uh, depression, anxiety at even higher rates than the average person. Because you start to evaluate this future, and it feels like it's all up to us, and our track record has not been the best. So every time humans make an advancement in anything, it also seems to come with a dark side. This past hundred years has led to like remarkable expansion of all kinds of good tech that has led to like healing of all sorts of diseases and that kind of thing, providing for people. I mean, a hundred years ago, like the average, like a fourth of the people wouldn't even make it past 20. I mean, like the, the birth, like the health rate and like life expectancy has massively increased. But that same tech that has made that possible, the same resources and education made that possible, has also led to like significant like wars and death. Like the past hundred years has led to crazy levels of catastrophe. So anytime humans seem to look like they're making some progress, despair is also to follow. 
And so the future is up to us, and we're, our track record is less than ideal. Clearly, there's other things at work there. So politics has a limitation, even though Jesus cares about it. So according to Jesus, what is wrong? Let's read from Ephesians. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So our culture is quite what they call disenchanted. We often imagine it's just kind of us and the people around us and the things we see. But the spiritual backdrop of the, of the Bible is that we are actually living in a war zone. We're living in a spiritual war zone where there is uh, the devil is this subpersonal evil force. The word just means slanderer. He's built on lies. So schemes is a, a way of lying and manipulating. And human beings, God's image bearers, are in the crosshairs of a massive spiritual battle taking place all around us. So even on your most relaxing day, you imagine this is no chaos. We are living in peace here. You are still in, the, in a spiritual war zone. There's like a massive spiritual warfare happening around us. And I, I may sound like a crazy person talking like this, but we are in church, and this is about spiritual stuff. So Paul's saying, actually, the battle is not just those external policies, uh, nor those other people over there, but there's a spiritual darkness that is more influential. That is the real problem, a spiritual darkness. And so, according to Jesus, then, is something wrong with the laws and policy structures and systems, and is something wrong with them? Yes, there is, but it is a spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness is what is kind of influencing and, and, and putting power over and into the things that cause problems. This does not negate human responsibility, but I'm saying humans are under the influence of both spiritual darkness and of, uh, and of God's power in the world and are kind of in this space where we are free to kind of submit to them. So oftentimes scripture seems to see worldly leaders as uh, possible puppets of a spiritual darkness. It doesn't mean they, they still have agency, they have responsibility, but they've made choices that have kind of bent their will to what Satan's after, which is in completely antagonistic to what God is after. And, the, and the, the key stratagem that this evil operates with is by telling lies about reality. Again, I feel like I'm crawling. Are we keeping up? Everything good? You tracking with me? All right. It shouldn't sound lecture either. It should be real life stuff, man. It's on the grit of real life. This isn't a lecture. This is real stuff going on. So there happens to be one other factor here that's also under the influence of spiritual darkness, and that is me. So it's not just the outside and them. I happen to have the same disease that is in all the things that do harm and exhaust me, that uh, makes me feel despair and anxious and fear, I am under the same influence and I'm uh, not really any better necessarily at resisting that all the time. And so this, the scripture presumes that whatever disease is out there that I can't stand, that's in the way, is also in me. G.K. Chesterton, 
is a famous, uh, was a famous writer and pastor that everyone loves to quote and no one loves to read, including me. I never really read his stuff. But this quote is actually really good. I like it. I like his stuff. I just don't want to pretend when I quote him that I read him all the time. I haven't read him. But, uh, and he was alive and a pastor in the like, 18th century, 19th century in England. And there was a, a newspaper article that the, the question that the guy asked was, what's wrong in the world? And he invited people to write in. And, of course, everyone writes in their stuff. G.K. Chesterton wrote in, and all he wrote was, Dear Sir, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. So he's noting that whatever I think is wrong out there, I happen to also be in the way of it getting right. That's going to shift then whatever I imagine I'm doing as I engage in the political world. doesn't make it irrelevant. It means that there's a bigger force at work there. So according to Jesus, then, what's the solution? This is when all the Sunday school answers said, Jesus. Amen, man. When you're like, how are we going to make this right? If you're in church, the answer is always Jesus somehow. So let's just go right there. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his power. Not accumulate some political power, get all the right people on your side. It's you are strong in Jesus, and you're relying on his power. Everything flows from that. So you're putting on the full armor of God, not yourself. You're not accumulating resources, getting all the technique right and all that stuff. It's, it's turning attention to Jesus. And this is kind of relying on a powerful message of what happened in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which I think is really communicated well in this verse from Colossians 2, verses 3, 13 to 15. Paul writes, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. And I love this line. He made a public spectacle of them. He mocked the spiritual powers of darkness that have waged war on humanity forever. He, made, he embarrassed them publicly, when he triumphed over them by the cross. So, man, praise God. That is the gospel. So some things to emphasize here is it's all what God did. God did it. God did it. Second, all the blue is all past, right? It's not he will do it, although he will, but it's, it's like it's already happened. So, like, in the worldly secular politics, when you're relying on that, all the best hope for things getting right is like, man, I hope one day we can get it all together. And if you survey humans' track records, it's like, it's probably not going to happen because our track record is not the best. But when you read the gospel, the hope is like, God already disarmed these powers. Like, he's already won. Like, we're, we're now participating in a battle that he's already completed. So you may see signs of darkness around and even in you, but like that is like that's already been defeated in principle. So it does. You shouldn't have like this false hope that it's done. Like you can like just kick your feet up because your your part's over. But you're participating in something that is already ended. So like you're involved in a you're like taking a risk, but one that you can't fail at. So the the future, the long term worst case scenario for a Christian's future is eternal life in the hope of God. That's your long-term worst-case scenario if you're a Christian. If everything goes terribly, it's even worse than now. Another pandemic comes through, 
Like all things go haywire, economic system crashes, you lose all your money, and you starve to death. Your long-term worst case scenario is still eternal life in the hope of God. So whatever's happening in politics then is it matters because God has done this to the whole world, but it isn't like also the end of the world. And it's so hard for Christians to grasp that, that Jesus cares deeply about what happens daily in the physical life, but it's not something that he expects us to fix. We participate in his victory by acknowledging the spiritual darkness. And so we do have a role. The solution is us, individuals, putting their trust in Jesus. Now, what I want you to notice, as we notice the green parts here of our responsibility, is all of this is internal choice from the will. I cannot make a law that tells you to put on the armor of God and to stand firm with the belt of truth and to be ready with the gospel and to stand. Those, no law can do it. You have to want to do this. There's no external outside thing that could ever come to pass that can make an individual choose this, just like there's no external outside thing that can make you not do it. They can never control your brain. North Korea is the most secular country in the world, and there are still Christians that find a way. And the way they worship is quite crazy. I've read stories of Christians that just happen to know that other Christian, and they just accidentally meet up on the park bench and just sit next to each other in silence, and that is enough of their worship. To know another Christian's right there next to me, and there's like a silent communion there happening. That's what they have to do. But even in the country that tries to stamp it out, they can't. Jesus is there, and they cannot control that. So there's a trust from the inside. Let's keep reading here. So more, in addition to all this, take up a shield of faith again. You cannot make a law about this. No politics can influence it. It can actually make it worse sometimes because Jesus is about internal disposition from the heart, choosing this faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. All these yellow things are, are benefits and blessings of, of Jesus, that he gives us faith, he saves us, he gives us his spirit, and he is the word of God and also has, has inspired the word of God. And so naturally... The biggest thing to do is pray. Notice how much prayer is emphasized. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. That's a huge emphasis. How many times can you say it? Pray all the time about everything in all kinds of ways and always do it. That's like the most important thing then. So a good litmus test is whatever I'm imagining with politics does the same energy drive our prayer life. And we're doing this, and he says to keep on praying for all the Lord's people, which introduces the fact that it's not just individuals, but it's we form our own alternative society where Christians are a bunch of individuals who've made the choice internally, not coerced, to submit to Jesus, then form its own society that is not ruled by another king, but ruled by Jesus. So we cannot then take that circle of people that has chosen to be there and like come underneath in full any other political vision. So we trust Jesus and that is inside from the heart. No law can make it happen. So if Jesus' kingdom expands by heart, trusting Jesus can and expand by law and leaders. I've been trying to tell you 
No, it cannot. So when Christians try to participate in the political sphere and imagine that the best way to expand God's kingdom is to make people follow Jesus, you do more harm than good. It actually backfires. It'd be much better if Christians were like, listen, man, we don't really love what we're seeing here. We think God's a God of order and justice. Uh, we really want you to see it and to, to reflect on this. <laughs> and like if we, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about where laws fit in there. But in general, if human beings acknowledge that we have a God who does not himself lead by force and coercion, but by welcome and invitation to souls that he cares about that can choose him or not, and he can endure rejection, so he does not need a warrior on his behalf. If I hear one more person talk about Christ, a, a political leader being our champion, our warrior, Jesus don't need no champion. Jesus is already the champ. You know, he already made a mockery of his opponents. He doesn't need your help. He welcomes your participation and his new life he's made possible, but he does not need a new Cyrus or some kind of person to help like run his show because Jesus already runs the show. He already conquered the powers that were against him, and he doesn't need your help. So instead, we can have these open hands and just submit to the Lord and welcome other people to do the same. And so instead of laws and leaders and policies and externalities being the main emphasis, the Lord's people, that group grows by witness and conversion. Is conversion a dirty word? We like to talk about conversion here. We want souls to be converted. That's actually a goal, that you share the gospel with invitation, not force and coercion, not argument, not even heavy persuasion. It's welcome and invitation. It is a model of love and gentleness. It is a curious and open spirit that is confident that when you get all the ideas on the table, we think Jesus can withstand scrutiny, and we think he's worth choosing. I even tell my, my kids that. I'm like, look, man, I'm trying to show you. I want you to follow Jesus, but you are your own person, and one day you can choose that. You can make a choice. Uh, I think when you put it on the table, this is the best choice. And I hope our life shows it. Uh, but again, Jesus isn't going to make you do this. This is not going to be a rule. You don't get a consequence. I mean, I'm not forcing the consequence. Jesus is going to call you to that. And so Paul prays and wants you to pray that he will fearlessly make known the gospel. Like that's the goal of the church. Make the gospel clear and accurate and compelling to the world so that people can be welcomed in, not by law and policy, but they hear the gospel and then discover, man, their heart wants it, and they cannot imagine going without it. But I'm troubled by the why we are talking about this for six weeks is because Christians' participation in that world has had the opposite impact. Our participation in the political world with a spirit of cruelty and fear and anxiety and control has actually repelled people away from Jesus. They find Jesus repulsive to them. Can you believe that? Not because necessarily, I, people are going to reject the gospel. Even if you present it, great, they will. So it's not always our fault. But it has been, we've made quite a scene over the last many decades. And I, I'm longing, and I'm seeing a group that says, no, we don't want to do that anymore. And we can be the beginning of a ripple effect that prays instead and has gentleness and humility and slowly turns the tide so that our reputation is one of, of gentleness, of a surprising lightness that doesn't deny and ignore the, Lord, the world's darkness, 
but just trust that Jesus is in it. And he's in it by healing that spiritual disease that infects us all, that no law or policy can make go away. There's no external change that's going to change a person's heart to be faithful. And so we participate in that too. So the ultimate implication is that there is a limitation of secular politics. But it's not a limitation that makes it not matter. It does matter. It cannot be, okay, great, it's all spiritual, it's all eternal, none of this matters now, so Christians, go on your land and just kind of relax in your enclave and let the world be, do its thing. can't be that. And I think Christians struggle with one of those choices. Either we got to be all in and like we got to conquer it and get our, get our champion and make things right, or it's like, oh, if it's all spiritual, man, well, it's on y'all, I'm going to wash my hands of this. And so I think uh, Martin Luther King has a great way to describe what matters, and I think he's a great example of a Christian who kept it all in perspective but still participated in a healthy way. He says, it may be true that the law cannot change the heart, but it can restrain the heartless. It may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can restrain him from lynching me, and I think that is also pretty important. That's a great way to sum it up. That's what I'm trying to do for this whole sermon here. You're like, why didn't you just read that quote? It also could have worked. That also could have been okay if we would sit in a little bit. That when we do participate, whatever agency we have to adjust the externalities, laws and policies and leaders, we can have in mind that, hey, if I live in a land that happens to give me a say, my interest here is to restrain the harm that evil can do. Very important, also not the very center of what Christians are called to. It would rather instead be an effect. If, if a collection of us submit to Jesus and then we then participate in making laws, it's not so much to control people, but we would like to restrain the harm that evil people can do. If you are a heart bent on doing harm, then Christians can participate in that restraint. They can restrain him from lynching me. So if I could sum it up in two ways, then, we never compromise the Great Commission which is that we make disciples of all nations by announcing the gospel to them. And the greatest commandments, when Jesus asked what the greatest commandments are, it's to love God, our full allegiance is to God. No politician, no political party, no country, nothing. Jesus gets it all. So if I'm all in with Jesus, and I'm most committed to sharing the gospel so that more people can trust Jesus, I think the best thing for any human being is that they follow Jesus. And I do it, with that language, with love driving every bit of it, that my goal is your best interests as defined by Jesus, politics should never challenge those things. But I see Christians that might get so engaged that it's like, ooh, this political victory, controlling these laws and policies, matters more than inviting souls to follow Jesus. So it, it gets more energy. Or... My cause is so important that I'm allowed to dislike and hate you and be cruel to you and mean to you to make sure my cause wins. Christians have to absolutely repent from both of those that whatever we do in the political realm to restrain evil has to be an, a, a reflection of or an attempt to share the gospel better. So that when the world asks, who's Jesus and what he's about? And they say, well, how do Christians show this politically? It's Christians are about establishing order and helping uh, evil not harm people. 
that would be a great witness and understanding the limitations of that world. And the second implication then is that political views and happenings should not be a source of identity, community, meaning, or future hope. Not a source of identity, community, meaning, or future hope. So let me tell you the difference. If politics is seen as, in a culture like ours, we're pluralistic, it's not a Christian nation, it never was, it is a secular nation with its own emphasis, and it happens to have some Christians in it. And so what happens in the politics, political sphere is we acknowledge lots of people of different religious beliefs and hopes come together to solve complex problems. And if you're solving a complex problem with a bunch of people that disagree with you about the core of meaning of life, you say, look, man, I don't know where you come from. I don't know where you, where, you come, where you come from here, but we need some roads that work well, right? All right, so what do we got to give up to make sure we have roads to drive on? So that becomes not a way to express my identity or to change relationship, but to solve problems that affect us all. But what I notice in our culture, and it's happening all over the sides, including the church, is that political views become a, a key identifier to the point where I remember my last church, a person that I was, uh, that was kind of discipling started dating a person and loved everything about this person except he happens to disagree with me politically. And I'm just not sure it can work. Like, does he love Jesus? Yeah. Does he think his politics are because of Jesus? Yeah. Do you think he's kind to you? Yeah. Does he want to go to church and worship and, like, will he be a good dad? Yeah. Well, man, just let your votes cancel out, then don't worry about it. But, like, that is not shocking. They're like, and I asked someone else, what do you like about this person? Well, they see, they see the world the same way. What do you mean? It's political views listed. And, like, that is this way that I get deep relationship. To the point where Christians would start to say that your political views are a key, are a, a more sign of unity than how you see Jesus. To where what's been called the great sort has been happening the past several years, where churches are separating based on political views. So it's less and less a sign of what we actually have here, where there is political difference in this room. I, feel, I actually feel sometimes that's under threat. It can easily happen where we're a little bit led astray by the importance of it. And someone even asked me recently, should Christians leave a church over political views? I would say no, unless it's about a, a, a preacher in a church becoming so political that they're emphasizing a very specific way of voting, and you must vote this way to be in this church. Then I would maybe holler up, chug the deuce, and run out of there. You know? But if it's like, hey, we are acknowledging Jesus is the king, and we're trying to wrestle with what that means. And we are politically malleable because of that. What Jesus wants politically in 2023 may be different than in 2017 and 1980. And so we are constantly wrestling together and back and forth and challenge each other. Like, how do we reflect that Jesus is the true king when we engage in this place? And it's not then, therefore, a place that we draw new identity, that we experience belonging, that our sense of purpose and significance is found in politics, and for sure, the future hope of the world does not depend on political happenings ran by human beings. Jesus has already set things right. He has freed us to engage with hope and a surprising lightness. Not that is ignorant of the world's problems or pretends they don't exist, but enters in with a surprising, uh, non-anxious presence that can welcome people as we participate into the true kingdom of God, as we then wait on the Lord to ultimately make things right. 
To me, that sounds like good news. I pray you receive it as such, and if not, we should talk about it. Where do we, where do we clash? Where am I not clicking on that? I welcome that feedback because it needs to be good news. To me, it is good news that God sees it all and will make things right. Let's pray.